Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 19 of the UK's only Freedom of Information podcast. I'm Ibrahim Hassan. In the three months up to the end of July 2009, the Information Commissioner published 74 decisions, whilst the Information Tribunal published 13. I'm here to guide you through some of these. In this episode, amongst others, we'll be discussing decisions on fees and the aggregation rules, requests for information about land, court records and section 32, section 36 and disclosure of internal correspondence, statistics and section 40, disclosure of disciplinary records and the definition of commercial interests under section 43. Before we go on to discuss these decisions, let's just consider some interesting recent developments in the world of freedom of information. The new Information Commissioner Christopher Graham took up his post in June. Mr Graham ran the Advertising Standards Authority before becoming Information Commissioner. One of his main challenges will be to tackle the lengthy backlog of cases that his office has been struggling with. In a report published in July, the Campaign for Freedom of Information strongly attacked the Information Commissioner's office over extensive delays before it issues formal decision notices. It found that on average it took 19.7 months from the date of a complaint to the ICO to the date on which the ICO's decision on the complaint was issued. In 46% of cases it took between one and two years from complaint to decision notice. A quarter of formal decisions took between two and three years while 5% of cases took more than three years. In the worst case identified by the campaign, the Commissioner's decision notice was issued three years and ten and a half months after the complaint was made. The Information Commissioner's Office has said that it is trying to speed up its process and that most cases are resolved informally and quickly. The Government has now published its response to the recent consultation on extending the Freedom of Information Act. It proposes to add only four new organisations to the list of public authorities, namely Academy Schools, the Association of Chief Police Officers, the Financial Ombudsman Service and the Universities and Colleges Admissions Service. The Government has stated that this is an initial step and that further consultations with Network Rail and utility companies will examine how the Act could apply to them. The Campaign for Freedom of Information has expressed its disappointment at the narrow scope of the proposals. Section 5 of the Act allows contractors providing services on behalf of a public authority to be brought under its scope if the provision of the service is a function of the authority. The campaign argues that private health bodies providing surgical or diagnostic services under the NHS should be subject to the Act, as should providers of social care services and educational and criminal justice services. It believes that the public's right to know about the quality of a public service they receive should be the same, whether the service is provided by a public authority itself or by a private body under contract to the authority. The campaign has also highlighted the fact that the government has decided not to bring private prisons under the Act, even though private prisons had often been suggested by the government as the type of organisation that could be covered. It will be interesting to see what the Conservatives propose in their next general election manifesto about extending freedom of information. David Cameron has, in the wake of the MP's expenses scandal, tried to claim the moral high ground when it comes to openness and transparency. The revised Records Management Code of Practice under Section 46 of the Freedom of Information Act was issued in July. It is considered to be much more user-friendly than the previous version, 
and has been drawn up with the help of records management practitioners as well as the National Archives. The Code also recommends public bodies across the country introduce a strategy for the preservation of digital records to ensure that they can continue to be accessed and used and are resilient to future changes in technology. On the 10th of June 2009, the Prime Minister announced that the 30-year period before old official papers are made public would be reduced to 20 years. More controversially, he also announced that two new Freedom of Information exemptions would be created. Information relating to the royal family would be made exempt from the Act altogether, despite there already being an exemption for correspondence with the royal household within Section 37. Even more controversial is the proposed new exemption to cover Cabinet documents. This is a direct response to the Information Tribunal decision published on the 27th of January involving the Cabinet Office, which decided to uphold the ruling by the Information Commissioner that minutes of Cabinet meetings from 2003 should be released. These refer to meetings that discuss the Attorney General's legal advice about the Iraq War. This decision led to the Lord Chancellor issuing the first ever ministerial veto under Section 53 of the Act in February of this year. The new exemption will avoid the need to use the veto and the consequential media outcry. Let's now move on to the latest decisions of the Information Commissioner and the Information Tribunal. There is still much confusion about the distinction between information falling within the Environmental Information Regulations as opposed to the Freedom of Information regime. In a decision involving Nottingham City Council dated the 11th of June, the complainant requested the legal advice which the Council obtained in respect of a piece of land in Nottingham. The Council initially claimed that the exemptions in Section 42 and 43 of the Freedom of Information Act applied. The Commissioner informed the Council that the information should have been considered under the Environmental Information Regulations as it came under the definition of environmental information in Regulation 21C, which includes measures such as policies, legislation, plans, programmes, environmental agreements and activities affecting or likely to affect the elements of the environment. Land is described as an element of the environment within the regulations. The Commissioner found that the legal advice being requested related to legal restrictions on the land to prevent its sale, lease or development other than for specified purposes. These are measures as defined within Regulation 21C and so the legal advice being about those measures was environmental information. This decision requires public authorities to consider the application of the environmental information regime when responding to requests for information about land. Section 12.4 of the Act provides that in certain circumstances, set out in the fees regulations, two or more requests can be aggregated so that the estimated cost of complying with any of the requests is taken to be the total estimated cost of complying with all of them. This includes where two or more requests relate to the same or similar information and are received within 60 consecutive working days of each other from people acting in concert or in pursuance of a campaign. Practical application of these provisions is clarified in a recent Commissioner decision involving the City of Westminster Council dated the 27th of July. The complainant requested 13 sets of information relating to two schools. The Council refused to provide this as, when aggregated with requests from others, compliance would exceed the appropriate limit. The Commissioner first had to decide whether the complainant was acting in concert or in pursuance of a campaign with others. 
He acknowledged her assertion that she was not part of a campaign and that there had been no orchestration of FOI requests. However, the council submitted that the requests were from people acting in concert or in pursuance of a campaign to overturn the decision to make Pimlico School an academy, and it provided evidence of a group created on Google Groups to aid this campaign. The Commissioner ruled that it was reasonable for the council to be of the opinion that the requesters were acting in concert or in pursuance of a campaign, and that this satisfies the fees regulations, which merely require the appearance of such behaviour rather than any strict evidential proof. The next issue which the Commissioner had to decide was whether there were two or more requests relating to the same or similar information. The Council supplied the Commissioner with the wording of other requests it was aggregating with the complainant's request. It argued that they all related to information on the change of status of Pimlico School from local authority control to academy status, including comparative data with another school. The Commissioner agreed with this approach. The Section 32 exemption for court records is different from other exemptions in that it actually applies to documents as opposed to information. The Information Tribunal has recently handed down a decision in which it reached a number of important conclusions on the application of this exemption. In Dominic Kennedy and the Information Commissioner and the Charity Commissioners, the complainant wanted information concerning the Commission's 2007 inquiry into the Murriam Appeal, a controversial fund set up by the MP George Galloway. The first issue which the Tribunal was called upon to determine was whether the word document, as it appears in Section 32, included electronic documents or merely hard copy documents. The Tribunal decided that the word should be given an expansive interpretation so as to include both electronic documents and hard copy documents. It also held that Section 32 can apply not merely to records relating to ongoing inquiries, but also to inquiries that are closed. In the course of this decision, the Tribunal accepted that it was giving Section 32 a very wide scope, which contrasted with the approach taken by the Tribunal to other exemptions within the Act. However, it concluded that this was the required result given the need to respect the autonomy of the courts, and those bodies which conduct statutory inquiries and arbitrations. This decision is consistent with an earlier decision discussed in episode 18 involving the Department for Business, Enterprise and Regulatory Reform. The Section 32 exemption is the only freedom of information exemption which requires a qualified person to give his or her opinion that disclosure of the requested information would have a prejudicial effect on the subject of the exemption. In other words, that it would inhibit free and frank advice, deliberations, or would prejudice the effective conduct of public affairs. The qualified person will usually be the head of the public authority, or, in the case of local authorities, the monitoring officer. In investigating whether the Section 36 exemption is engaged, the Commissioner will undertake the following process. He will ascertain who is the qualified person for the public authority, he will then establish that an opinion was given. He will then ascertain when the opinion was given. And finally, he will consider whether the opinion was reasonable in substance and reasonably arrived at. In a decision involving the National Portrait Gallery dated the 2nd of June, the complainant made a request for information, including internal correspondence, it held in respect of proposed commissioned portraits of Tony Blair and General Sir Mike Jackson. 
The gallery responded to the request by disclosing a quantity of information relating to Sir Mike Jackson. Additional information, though, was withheld under the exemptions in Section 36 and Section 40, Personal Data. The Commissioner found that Section 36.2c was engaged, prejudicial to the effective conduct of public affairs, and this exemption applied to all of the information withheld, and the public interest in maintaining the exemption outweighed the public interest in disclosure. He was mindful of the fact that when the complainant made his request, both commissions were at an early and therefore sensitive stage, as the commissioning process was still ongoing and had not yet been finalised. The Commissioner was also satisfied that disclosure at the time the request was made would have been likely to have dissuaded the artists and sitters, or future artists and sitters, from taking part in the process. Section 40 provides an exemption from disclosure of personal data about third parties. But what about requests for statistics where, on the face of it, individuals cannot be identified? There have been a number of Information Commissioner decisions on this issue, the latest one involving Buckinghamshire County Council, dated the 18th of May. Here the complainants requested information about the operation of the 11 Plus system in Buckinghamshire. The Council provided some information, but refused to provide raw data on the grounds that it was third-party personal information and release would contravene the Data Protection Act. It also provided some reports and analysis, but failed to confirm or deny whether or not it held any other information. The Commissioner considered that truly anonymised data is not personal data and thus there is no need to consider the application of the data protection principles to its disclosure. The test of whether information is truly anonymised is whether a member of the public could reasonably identify the individuals by cross-referencing the data with information or knowledge already available to them. This approach is supported in the House of Lords case involving the Common Services Agency and the Scottish Commissioner. The Commissioner did not believe that where the number of children who had taken the 11 plus at a school is greater than five, the Council had provided any evidence that there is a reasonable risk of the child being identified. The Council had simply stated that there is a risk. The Commissioner considered that if the information were to be disclosed and there were more than five children at the school taking the test, that it would be highly unlikely that an individual could use the information to identify the child. The Commissioner considered that for this information, Section 40 is not engaged, as the information requested is not personal data. However, the Commissioner considered that where the number of children who had taken the 11 plus test at a school was less than five, then disclosure of the requested information might reasonably be expected, in at least some cases, to enable the identification of an individual. The level of detail requested when there are five or less children at the school was such that it was reasonable to conclude that there was a significant chance that a person could identify one or more of the children in question. The Commissioner then went on to consider if disclosure of the information would breach the requirements of the first data protection principle. He ruled that pupils would not expect their information to be placed in the public domain where it could lead to their identification. He also considered that disclosure, where they could be identified, could lead to pupils being caused unnecessary distress. The individual children would have a reasonable expectation that their 11 plus scores and suitability marks would remain private. Those interested in disclosure of statistics should also consider the Commissioner's decision involving Bedgrove Junior School, dated the 30th of July. 
Here the complainants requested information from the school about the SAT's results of its Year 5 pupils. They also requested some of its policies. The Commissioner determined that some of the information had been correctly withheld under Section 40. This information consisted of the names of children and the letters relating to their teaching requirements. He did, however, find that an anonymised version of the information should have been provided. The Information Tribunal has recently handed down a decision in which it upheld the Commissioner's conclusion that information as to judges' serious misconduct was exempt from disclosure under Section 40 being third-party personal data. In Guardian Newspapers and the Information Commissioner, the Tribunal also held that the information in question was exempt under Section 31.1c being prejudicial to the administration of justice. The Commissioner takes a quite restrictive view of commercial interests when it comes to applying the Section 43 exemption. In his Freedom of Information Awareness Guidance Note number 5, he draws a distinction between commercial interests and financial interests, stating that the latter cannot be protected by the application of the Section 43 exemption. This approach has been called into question in a recent tribunal decision involving the Student Loans Company. The company, or SLC as it is sometimes known, challenged a decision of the Information Commissioner that it must disclose a training manual used for staff who deal with defaulting borrowers. Amongst other things, SLC argued that disclosure would harm its commercial interests in that the manual would help borrowers to delay or avoid complying with their obligations. The Commissioner considered that SLC was not participating competitively in the purchase and sale of goods or services and that a detrimental financial effect of the kind feared by SLC would not constitute prejudice to its commercial interests as protected by Section 43. The Tribunal ruled that the Commissioner's approach to Section 43 was too restrictive. Commercial is an ordinary English word. The Tribunal did not consider it appropriate to tie its meaning directly or indirectly to competitive participation in buying and selling goods or services and to exclude all other possibilities. Debt collection is a commercial activity, even when carried on by a company supported by public funds. The Tribunal ruled that a better approach was to ask itself whether a detriment to SLC from the delay and reduction of debt collections and the increasing costs of collections could fairly be described as prejudicing its commercial interests. Though it thought that this case was borderline, the Tribunal decided the answer was in the affirmative and it ordered some parts of the manual to be redacted before disclosure. It will be interesting to see if the Commissioner revises his Section 43 guidance in the light of this Tribunal decision. Finally, Act Now now offers a Freedom of Information helpline. This is designed to supplement your internal Freedom of Information expertise by acting as a sounding board or signpost service for you to discuss your FOI as well as your EIR requests and possible responses. Through the helpline, I'll be available to guide you through the relevant area of law, discuss possible exemptions and how to deal with any complaints. At a time of increasing pressure on public sector budgets, the Act Now FOI helpline is the most cost-effective solution for your FOI problems. More details at www.actnow.org.uk That concludes episode 19 of the FOI podcast. I now plan to produce this podcast once every three months. The next one will be in October. 
In between podcasts, I shall be producing free webcasts on the latest developments in information and surveillance law. For more information, see the webcast page on my website. I have also added an information law blog to my site where you can read the latest news on information and surveillance law. You can also subscribe to it as an RSS feed. Don't forget, Act Now is also offering the ICEB Certificate in Freedom of Information course. This will be held in Manchester and London throughout the year. If you'd like to know more, please email info at actnow.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Until the next time, goodbye.